You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Is there anybody here from the great state of Colorado? (laughs) Why don't you guys stand? Would you welcome the Colorado NYI District? These guys are here and they're working with the disaster relief from the tornadoes in the Moore area. And we're grateful for you coming. I remember in some of Max Licato's writings years ago, he talked about when he was a young man, he owned a houseboat. He said, if you ask me why I owned a houseboat and lived on a houseboat, I'm not for sure I have a good answer. Maybe, maybe part adventure and part bargain. He said, because only after three payments, that houseboat was mine. He said, I don't know if you call it a houseboat. Maybe it was just a a rustic cabin on a leaky barge. Maybe that was a better way to say it. But he said, I remember the weekend that a hurricane was threatening the shores of Florida. We were there on the Miami River living in that houseboat, some friends of mine and I, some other guys. And as the hurricane was coming and everybody was preparing for the hurricane, we were trying to decide how to best right out a houseboat in a hurricane. We didn't know anything about boats. We just got a bargain. And so he said, we were tying it to the land, tying it to everything we could tie it to. It looked like a spider's web when we got done tying that boat up. And a guy drove by who was a seasoned veteran of boats and living on boats, and he says, if you tie it to land, you're going to lose it. You're better off if you take it out into the deeper waters and drop four anchors. And make sure you leave a lot of slack in the line. And just let it ride out the storm on the water. And so he said, we took his advice and we took that boat out into the deeper part of the river and we dropped four anchors. And we decided to let the boat ride out the storm. He said, actually... We didn't have to let it ride it out because right before the hurricane got to Florida, it made a hard, sharp turn and it missed us completely. (laughs) And so our boat was safe. You, You understand the idea of an anchor, don't you? You understand what that's all about? It's all about this, uh, this something that's heavy, this metal or substance, concrete, something and, and you drop it through the body of water when you're in a boat and you let it go all the way down to the floor of that body of water and tied to a rope, you tie it off to your boat and therefore it limits the movement that the boat can have. It holds the boat steady. And so the idea was that if you drop four anchors and you're just going to hold that boat steady as the hurricane comes and it's not going to wash up against the shore and just beat itself up against the shore and tear it all to pieces. And so all of my life, being in this Christian community, I've, I've been very aware of this metaphor of an anchor. And all of my life, I've heard songs and I've heard sermons about what is your life anchored in? And is your life anchored in something that will hold you steady even when the storms of life come? Because the storms of life are going to come. But are you anchored in something that will hold you steady no matter what comes in your life? And what I've been trying to do in this series that we're in called Text 
And, and I'm loving being a part of it with you. I just want to challenge you to anchor your life in the Word of God. And when the storms of life come, and they will come, you will hold steady through the storms of life. Do not neglect. Do not forget God's Word. Anchor your life in the Word of God. Could I take just a little bit of time this morning and talk to you about a nation, a group of people who did not anchor their lives in God's Word. And as a result, they made some very poor decisions when life got hard. And as a result, they suffered some very severe consequences. So I'm going to be in the book of 2 Kings this morning. If you would like to open your Bible, and I'll be in chapter 22, and I'll start with, uh, with verse 8, okay? 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. You, you may say, okay, we're going to the book of 2 Kings. Obviously, there's a 1 Kings if there's a 2 Kings. And you may be kind of new to reading the Bible, and you may say, Rick, I'm not for sure I know what the book of Kings is really about. Well, it's actually about the kings is what it's about. It's about the kings of both uh, Israel and Judah. You you remember one of the kings of Israel, whose name was Solomon, uh, did not follow God. And because he did not follow God, the result was that the nation was torn in two. And so now there is not one kingdom for the nation of Israel. There are two kingdoms. There is the north and the south. There's not one king. There are two kings. And so what happens in the book of First and Second Kings, it's really the account of the story of the kings who ruled over Israel and Judah. And so in 621 B.C., Josiah becomes king of Judah. Who becomes king of Judah in 621? Josiah became king because his father Amon was assassinated by his own officials. Things were kind of rough in Judah. But Amon was an evil man. And the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now if one of your friends says you're not a good guy, you may be a good guy or you may not be a good guy. But if the, if the Bible says you did evil, then you did evil. I mean that's just the way it is. He became king, Amon, because his father Manasseh died. The Bible says this about Manasseh. Manasseh did terrible sins in the eyes of God. And so Judah is at a low ebb in its history. You've got kings who are evil men. And they do not honor God. And they do evil in the eyes of God. And now you have a new king. His name is Josiah. Guess how old Josiah was when he became king? He was eight years old. Eight years old. The boy king is different from his father and his grandfather. Here's what the Bible says about Josiah. Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so, in the 18th year of his reign, when he was only 26 years old, he gives an order that says, Let's pay all of the workers that are needed and let's repair the temple of God. And so Josiah begins to turn the nation of Judah back to God. Now let me begin reading to you at verse 8. Okay, here's what the Word of God says. 
Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. What do you mean you have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord? That's what he's saying. I found it. I found, I found the word of God. How, how, how does that happen? How do you get to the point that you say, whoa, look what I found. I found the word of God. You dust it off. You begin to read it. Wow, this is God's word. What, what do you mean that a nation lost the word of God? But that's what happened. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan who read it. And then Shaphan the secretary went to the king, Josiah, and he reported it to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. So in other words, the repair has taken place. Everything you wanted to happen is happening. And then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. We've messed up. We blew it. We've been off track. These words were supposed to be holding us steady, but we didn't have these words. We weren't reading them. And so he says, bring all the people together. And the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. And the king ordered Hilkiah the priest, the high priest, the priests next in rank and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. And, and so Josiah has all of the other altars burned and destroyed. And here's what the Word of God says about Josiah. And this is where we'll stop reading. Neither before or after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. May God bless his word for us today. I remember when I was a sixth grader, I went to Sunday school one Sunday morning and our teacher said, next year, next Sunday rather, we are having this the Sunday school contest for the whole church. And there will be a winner from each Sunday school class. There will be a winner from this Sunday school class. And the person who wins will be the person who brings more people to Sunday school than anybody else. And the only stipulation was that they could not have attended the last three weeks. That was it. 
And so I remember thinking to myself, sitting in Sunday school, I could win this. My mom would help me and I could, I could get this done. I could win whatever this prize is going to be. I thought it was a great opportunity. But I forgot about it somehow in the middle of the week. And when I got back to Sunday school on Sunday morning, I was the first one in the class. The teacher wasn't even there. And I sat there thinking to myself, oh man, I forgot about this contest. I could have won this thing. Nobody in sixth grade is going to invite anybody to Sunday school. The next person to come into the class was a girl named Sharon who had not been to Sunday school for months. And the devil went to work on me. And I said, hey, Sharon, we're having this contest. All you got to do is bring somebody that hasn't been to Sunday school in the last three weeks. Would you tell everybody, the teacher, that I called you and invited you? She said, sure. And so the teacher comes in and all the other kids come in. And did anybody invite anybody to Sunday school? I raised my hand. I called Sharon. Sharon nodded and smiled. I'm proud of you, Ricky. You're the only one that invited anybody. That was the first moment that the guilt really began to settle. And she finally said, well, you're the winner. I don't have a gift for you, though. Brother Appleby, our pastor, is going to call you up front this morning <laughs> at the beginning of the service, and he's going to give you your gift. The, the gravity of what I did began to just weigh a little heavier in my heart. I began to shift in Sunday school, and I was struggling. We got into the church service, and, and they invited everybody who was winners in their Sunday school class, who were winners, to come up and stand and receive the gift. And, and you can only imagine the surprise on my face of my mother and father when they watch me walk up with all the other saints. And so as he comes down the, uh, the, the, the across the front of the church, you know, handing everybody their gifts, he hands me a Bible. Now, not only have I lied, but I've lied in order to steal a Bible from the church of all places. My mom, my mom did not accuse me. She just expressed surprise. And that night I struggled to go to sleep. And the next night, Monday night, I struggled to go to sleep. And Tuesday night, I struggled. And so on Wednesday night, my whole family jumped into our family car and we headed to church. And before church started, I said to the pastor, you know, I really need to talk to you before church. You know, there's those times when we cry and it's kind of beautiful tears just kind of stream down our cheeks and then there's those ugly cries I performed an ugly cry for my pastor one of those where your your lip is twisted and your chin is jerking around and I told him what I'd done I told him I was sorry and I asked him to forgive me I moved the Bible toward him like, I want you to take it back. I don't deserve it. He never took it back the whole time I was talking. And finally, he lays his hand on my shoulder and he says, I, I forgive you. But I want you to keep the Bible. And I want you to read it. <laughs> because apparently you're in need of it. And I want you to focus on doing what it says. Lying and stealing is a no. 
You think that's our greatest need? Is our greatest need to know God as he reveals himself in his word? So when we think about good old Bethany First Church, is that our greatest need? To come to know the God who is revealed in the scripture is our greatest need to open the word of God and come to know him and walk with him and love him and honor him and follow him with our lives. Is that our greatest need? I, I got to ask myself when I, when I read this story, how, how does this happen to a nation? How do you come to a point where that all of a sudden no, nobody has a nobody has any 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 kind of understanding of the word? No, nobody's reading it. Nobody has anything to do with it. How, how do you get to a place where somebody says, "Well, look what I found. <sighs> Blow the dust off. See what's in here." How, how does that happen to a nation? I I guess this week one of the things I really asked myself was, "Is there any way in the world that that could happen to our nation?" And I react when I have those thoughts and I say immediately, no, that can never happen to our nation. And, and then I remember that last week I reminded you that, that, you know, half of the people who attend a Protestant church like ours say, I never read the Bible. Never. Rick, the only time I read the Word of God is when it shows up on the screen on Sunday morning. That's it. I leave here and I don't open the Bible all through the week. I don't open it once. The next time I read the Word of God is when I come back and I sit in the seat and I look up on the screen and there it appears again. That's when I read it the next time. And so Josiah begins to read the Word of God. And something happens when he reads the Word of God. Listen to me real closely here, okay? Because this is what I just shared with you a moment ago when I read the Scripture. But I'll say it in this language. It led to repentance. The Bible says he tore his robes. We have messed up. We're off track. This was going to hold the study. But we didn't have it. And it didn't hold the study. We've messed up. We've worshipped other gods. We're in trouble. And the repentance led to renewal. The Bible says that he and the people of Judah renewed their covenant with God. You will be our God and we will be your people. And we will not worship those other gods anymore. We are coming to a place of renewal in our relationship with you. And they renewed their covenant with God. That's what happened by reading the word of God. That's what took place. I'm telling you, the word of God is powerful. I don't know when I've ever loved a prayer any more than Mikkel's prayer this morning. And all she did was just read the Bible. That's all that prayer was. Every word. She just read it right from the scripture. The power of the word of God to transform our lives. So let me just say this to you. And let me hold my Bible in my hand for a little while while I talk to you, okay? What happened was when Josiah and the people of Judah read the word that day, here's what happened. They recognized that they were reading the very word of God and believed in their heart that God was speaking to them through that word and believed in their heart that that was God's word. It was authoritative and it was the supreme rule of life and faith for them. So you ready? Here we go. 
Do you believe that? Come on, I'm wanting answers. Do you believe that this is God's word to us? Do you believe that this is God's word? Like Josiah believed and like the people of Judah believed that it is authoritative and is the supreme rule of life and faith. Do you believe this is God's word to us? What, what he read to them was really not even all of what we would call today in our Bible the Torah or the law. Some of it he read to them. But when you think about these first five books of the Old Testament that, the, that we call the law or the Torah, the Jews called the Torah. It was really 200 years later that it came together in this form that you see in my hands. He probably read this around 600 B.C. It wasn't until 400 B.C. that the Torah came together like it is now. It probably was 200 years later that the prophets were added to the Scriptures. And it was probably 100 years later after that, around 94 B.C., before Jesus was born, that the Old Testament appeared in the form that we have now, this right here. I love it when I read the New Testament. And I listen to the way the people in the New Testament refer to the Old Testament. Seventy-four times I find this phrase, it is written. And what they are doing is they are saying, like Josiah and the people of Judah, we see the scripture as authoritative and the supreme rule of life and faith. Jesus says, it is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus was saying was, I believe this is the Word of God and I believe it is authoritative. Paul, when he talks about it, here's what he says. All Scripture is God-breathed. That's what the Apostle Paul says about the Bible. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And so this Old Testament that I'm showing you right now that I have in my hand was written over a span of a thousand years. From the time the book of the law was written to the time the last of the prophets wrote, this is a thousand year span that this was written. The New Testament was written in about a half century. The last half of the first century the New Testament was written and it was completed and all compiled and brought together by 367 A.D. And so listen closely to what I'm saying, okay? This book is really 66 separate works, okay? It has 40 authors. It was written on three continents in more than one language. And it was written over a span of 1,500 years. Yet its message is unified. How in the world? Do you bring a group of writings together that were written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different people on three different continents and its message is in unity? And so I stand here before you today and I tell you that every morning I open this book and when I open this book I believe in my heart that I'm reading God's Word. God speaks to me through His Word. 
Day after day after day, God speaks to me through his word. I was sitting here during the offertory this morning, and I was reading what people had been writing this week, and God spoke to me through his word. It is living, it is alive, and it is active. So how? How can we neglect the Word of God? Um, I, I, I love the words of Jesus when he says this. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My words transcend time. And so Josiah, this young king, who is 26 years old, begins to read the Word of God. And it led him to repentance. And repentance led him to renewal. I'm sorry. And I recommit my life to honoring you. I remember a friend of mine whose name is Craig... who had suffered and lived in drug addiction for years and who this drug addiction had such control over his life that he was doing a lot of stuff he should have never done. Robbery got him in lots of trouble. When, when I met Craig, he was coming to Jesus and God changed his heart and freed him from this addiction. But he's got sentencing that he's looking at. And he's going to go to prison. It got delayed and it got delayed and it got delayed. But unless God just did something amazing, he was going to prison. And I remember one day, in a conversation with Craig, this young guy who was devouring the Word of God. I mean, he is... He is I mean, that is his food. And he's growing in his faith like few people I've ever seen grow in their faith before. And God is using him in a powerful way. And I remember one day looking at him saying, Craig, I don't want you to go to prison. And I remember he leaned toward me and he got in my face. <laughs> and he said, Rick... Even if I go to prison, and I probably will go to prison, I will be a free man. God can use me in prison. And freedom is not about whether or not you're in jail. I've not been free for years. But even if I go to prison, I'm going to be free. Well, what happened? Well, he went to prison. You say, did, did he love the Lord? Yes. And continued to grow in his faith. And he's out of prison today. Well, was he really sorry? Yes, he was really sorry. I mean, I mean, did he really follow God? Yes, he followed God. I mean, he was really a man of faith. Yes, he was a man of faith. I mean, he read the scripture. Yes, all of those things. But let me tell you something. Sin has consequences. 
And I'm not trying to be smart. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just telling you, this is a biblical principle that you cannot ignore. If you ignore the Word of God, there are consequences. And so what does God say to the people of Judah? God says to the people of Judah, I will come down hard on you. Because you have forsaken me. And you have followed other gods. Sin has consequences. Let me share this with you and I'll, I'll stop. Um, I've been here for a year and a couple of months and I've preached, you know, several sermons in that amount of time. It was interesting to me this week that of all the sermons I've preached here at Bethany First Church, I got more response, more communication about last Sunday's sermon than any other. Uh, it made it interesting to me because I walked out the door last Sunday saying to Annette it wasn't my best sermon. It wasn't because I didn't try. I think I see maybe where I made some mistakes, but it just wasn't my best sermon. But yet, when I walk away saying that, I get more communication from you than any other sermon I've preached. I don't think you communicated with me because it was a great sermon. I think you communicated with me because many of you said, there's some important stuff that I've left out of my life. And I'm going to take your challenge, Pastor Rick, to read the Word. I think the reason there was so much response is because the need is so great. And, and then I started, toward the end of the week, getting emails that were not only saying, I'm going to take your challenge, but there were emails that were saying, I've been reading the Word this week like you asked us to, and look what I found. And they quote me this verse of Scripture that just kind of has blown them away. Can you believe this is in the Bible? Because God speaks through His Word. And we are moved when God speaks to us. And so I think what I want to just do is just say to you, please, please join us. My, my wife has challenged me, and, and I've been reading the Word with different intensity with her in this challenge in this last week, and I'm, I'm so glad that she has kind of brought me to this place. I want to bring you to a place. I want to continue to challenge you. Get your Bible open and get into the Word of God. You may say, Rick, I don't know where to start. You know... I said to you last week, if, if you do version, there's lots of plans you can do. Every week in our bulletin, in our worship folder, there's a study guide and it gives you readings for the week. And if you decide to start reading uh, in what is given to you, also it's in line with the sermon every week. The questions are. And it's in your worship folder and you take it home with you every Sunday and, and it can be your guide. If you do this, you will get an overview while we're in this series of the story of God in Scripture. And, and so what I'm doing is saying to you, do this if you don't know what else to do. Um, do this if you do know what else to do. This is a great place to start. Read the Word of God. And as you do, please share with us what God is saying to you through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Hashtag BFC text. We would love to hear your stories of how God is speaking to you through His Word. You know, when I think about the story of Josiah and the people of Judah, 
when they begin to read the word, they were convicted of sin and they begin to repent. And so I want us to definitely pray before we leave this place today. And it occurred to me that maybe there's some people who have opened their Bible this week that haven't opened it for a long time. And God has spoken to you. And you feel a real need to repent as God's word has pointed out things in your life. And so this morning as we close in prayer, that may be what you want to pray about. You may want to come to the altar and pray this morning. If you do, that's fine. The altars will be available to you as we sing before we, before we pray together. It, it could be this morning that some of you feel a need, need to repent for neglecting the commands of God's Word or even neglecting the reading of God's Word. And you want to come and pray for grace. I talked about the anchor that holds you steady in the storms of life. And there may be people here this morning who say, Rick, we're in the storms of life. And we're trusting God's word to hold us steady in this time. But we're going through it. And you may want to come and pray about the storms in your life. You may want to pray about people that you love. Who do not profess to follow Christ. And you pray for them and you worry about them and you want them to come to know Jesus. You can pray for them this morning. If you need physical healing, there will be pastors on each side of the altar and you can just get their attention and they will anoint you and they will pray for you. And I love to say this before we pray. If you want to become a Christ follower today... The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, Rick, I know there's sin in my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want Jesus Christ in me. I want my relationship with God to be right. You can become a follower of Christ today. So why don't we stand and why don't we sing? And if you want to come and pray, you're free to do that. with me. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to
thank, thank you, Lord, today for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. And thank you that it leads to repentance. And thank you that repentance leads to renewal. Make us people of your word. Bring healing to people today. For hearts that are broken today, Lord, I pray for your blessings. For people who are confessing their sin, Lord, I pray for their forgiveness. For people who are praying for others, Lord, hear the cries of their hearts. Do, God, what only you can do in this place today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You know, as, as we go, I think, Kyle, I'm just going to ask you to continue to worship. And feel free to leave or feel free to worship whatever you like to do. If you want to hang on, just kind of hang on. If you want to go, feel free to go. God bless you. Have a great day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.